Welcome to the LTG Live Podcast, a podcast focused on the topics and issues most relevant to leadership in youth ministry. We hope you end this episode feeling equipped and inspired to take your leadership to the next level. Hey friends, welcome to LTG Live. My name is Aaron Holt, Director of Lead Generation, and I got the one and only Peter Reeves with Woo! me. Come on. Good to see you, my it's brother. It's good how to be you? back. I'm doing well, man. Doing well. How are you? Good, good. Been looking forward to this next hour all week long. Uh, last week, incredible conversation, but this week's going to yeah. be just as good, man. This is great. We're excited. We got an incredible guest we're going to introduce in just a moment, uh, Jeff yeah. Grinnell. He's been on on LGD Live before, but we're bringing him back. Just released a brand new book this week, Peter. Uh, it's going to be incredible. I know you're excited, bro, for this this topic that we're going to hit today. Man, back to back, really interesting topic, just sexuality in general. And uh, the book is just fantastic, getting a biblical perspective. I don't know anyone who does it better than Jeff Grinnell. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited. So good. So good. Hey, a couple things real quick before we jump in, before we uh, introduce Jeff, before we talk about this uh, amazing book right here and, and pick his brain on it. Um, Peter, guess what? The Student Leader Podcast almost up to 500 downloads in the first three weeks, which is just insane, right? We're so excited about this. So it's going to be great. So listen, youth pastors, if you haven't downloaded it yet, if you haven't checked it out, um, this is a great resource for you that we're producing three times a week to help you develop your student leaders. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it comes out at just 10 minute episodes. We interview a youth pastor, different youth pastor every week. In fact, Taylor Murphy was on all this week. I know that, uh, that Jeff, that's one of your guys you're listening backstage, but so check that out really good. Uh, and then Peter, uh, talk to everyone real quick about our partner world serve. We're so glad they're partnering with us uh, in the LTG live this season. Man, these guys are making a real difference around the world, um, no pun intended, <laughs> and they are planting wells in all different regions of Africa. Uh, they're partnering with the NFL, with the NBA. I mean, yeah. these guys are really doing kingdom work. They give people uh, the opportunity to have fresh water, and then they give them Jesus. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So check them out. We'll drop a link for their website in the uh, in the comments there. Uh, you can check them out and uh, see what they're doing. If you're in the Assemblies of God, then you've probably already heard about them because they do a lot with Speed the Light and with our National Youth Department, uh, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Next week, Peter, one of your good friends is with us next week, right? Same time, yes. different day, but next week on the 11th, Ty Buckingham, Peter, go ahead, set up the topic he's going to hit. This is this is his thing. This is like what yes, he does. Yes, absolutely. How to lead. Oh, man, Peter, we lost your mic there for a second, bro. We just like like as soon as you started talking about. It. So I'll, I'll, I'll set this up real quick while you're figuring that out. How to lead students into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, yeah, I think you're back now, Peter. Yes, Ty's the best at this, man. We yeah. grew up together uh this has always been his bend and his heart he's gonna do it masterfully we've had him in a couple different times to do this and so i'm really excited about it yeah this is gonna be great it's gonna be great but today today we have back with us again uh jeff grinnell youth mystery veteran been doing uh, student mystery for a long long time um and wrote an incredible book that just released this week it's called gen sexy Love, sexuality, and youth. Jeff, we're so glad you're here. We welcome you to the live stream. Thanks for joining us again today, man. It's good to see you, brother. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, some of my favorite people right here. You know, <laughs> you, and I know when we say that, sometimes you expect that we have a relationship that's like ongoing and, and it's constant. But um, there are certain people that when, when you're with them, it's like you just pick up where you were before. Yeah. So even though, you know, we don't spend a ton of time together, I have great respect for what you guys do and been looking forward to this. Well, Jeff, man, we're so excited that you're with us. And, uh, you know, we were talking just a couple minutes before we hit the, you know, the go live button uh, about this book. It just released on, uh, what was it, yesterday or Tuesday? It was this week, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, but boy, this has been a labor of love for you, this, this whole book here. Um, and I just, I, I'll just say before we even get into the topic, uh, on behalf of myself, Peter, many other youth pastors out there, thanks for writing this. Um, thanks for spending a year of your life pouring into this, studying, researching, and then also for, for those of you that don't know Jeff's story, and you'll 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 read this in the book. Um, thanks for living this this out. You know, you you've been doing this both personally 
I mentioned to you before the live stream, you're not only addressing this from a theological perspective right. and also uh, uh, the perspective of an experienced youth pastor, but you're also personally walking through this currently in your life and how to love and how to be full of truth and grace. And those are some of the things that we'll talk about real quick. Yeah. Um, Peter, I know you're excited. Uh, again, this is almost like part two with, you know, last week mm. we had Char Blair with us last week talking on, on a, the same topic. And here we go again. But um, Peter, just kind of jump us into the conversation here. I know you're glad that, that Jeff's with us and uh, yeah, yeah. I know you're excited for this book as well. Yeah, I think I think this is so good because um, and again, thank you for writing the book, Jeff, because a lot of youth pastors, when it comes to the topic of I mean, all three love uh, sexuality and youth, we are kind of at a loss for words, the, our vocabulary, our language is there. And most importantly, to lead anything great, understanding has to be there. Uh, which I think the book is going to provide some understanding. But just if you would share with us, why did you write this book? Yeah. Uh, you, you don't just wake up someday and decide to write a book on sex and sexuality. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, because it's such, it's like the topic of the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, aside from, to, to me, and everybody has their different view on the number one problem in a teen's world. I think it's the family. I think it's the breakup of the family yeah. because mm. if, if the family is healthy, they can handle anything. Right. Right. So, I mean, lay that aside. I think uh, inarguably, can I say that it's kind of like the, it's, it's kind of like the Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, you know, whatever. Uh, that's arguably the best player, whatever. Sorry. I don't know how I got off on that. You know, <laughs> Um, I am wearing my lower Marion shorts that have Kobe Bryant. But anyway, oh, there you go. <laughs> but you can't anyway. Um, I think inarguably the greatest issue in in a teenager's life is sexuality, because if they could solve that uh, that whole identity thing, that sh- I didn't get a chance to see it yet. But man, I cannot. I'm I'm going to watch it today. Um, if we could solve the identity problem. With teenagers, it's game over for them. Yeah, it, it, it is a game changer. It is a life changer when students know who they are, and that begins with the sanctity. Hear me, the sanctity of sexuality, not just the sanctity of sex, or the sanctity of gender, or the sanctity of life. But it's the it, if they understand who they are as a created being, it. Um, it, it'll solve all of the other isms and ish stuff they feel or yeah. culture tells them. So th- that's why I wrote it first for teenagers in those conversations that all three of us have had. Yeah. Confusion, uh, dysphoria. I know we're not, uh, listen, the church didn't come up with the word dysphoria. And sometimes we get that. You know, people push back on us. You're not supposed to use the word dysphoria. The medical field used the word dysphoria, not us. Okay. So there's so many um, problems with that, like false narratives. So I I wrote it for all of those gender confusion, gender issues, identity issues that I've talked personally with teenagers. Second. So that's the first reason I wrote it for students. And you can see by the cover, you know, and the approach, even the format of the book is not, it's very fresh. It's very fun. It's exciting. We literally designed the book for middle school and high schoolers to read. And, it, it, you know, it's very difficult to take a topic like this and put it in that language. But I really attempted to do that. And I know there, I know it gets a little deep, but you, you guys know how, I know how you feel and you know how I feel about approaching teenagers, the school system has dumbed them down. Uh, The the church has dumbed them down and the school system has kind of treated them a little more mature than the church has. (laughs) So I wrote it very mature. It's a very mature perspective, but gave the book to teenagers and had, had them, you know, respond back on before we even posted it in the manuscript. So I, I even had teenagers tell me this is, this is not too deep because I would ask them that. Do you understand? They're like, yeah, of course. I mean, there's a few words in there that we struggle with, but um, the concepts they get, they're smart, man. These students are way more mature than we, than we think they are. 
I think youth ministry is doing a Nickelodeon job in a Stranger Things world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on. So we got to get we got to we got to forget about the Disney Channel when it comes to ministry and put them more in that, you know, whatever. But so off topic. But so I wrote it from their perspective. That's good. Second, yeah. second from the the um, cultural perspective. Culture has replaced scripture in teenagers' lives. Right. Right. Go all the way back to 2018 with the study that, you know, Barna has done. 4% biblical worldview, you know, uh, only 33% of Christian teens who attend church uh, twice a month can name half the Ten Commandments. All of the all of these stats. Yeah. So we know that there is this illiteracy theologically. And so I wrote it from that perspective too. Not just call, you know, the first chapter is a cultural look at it. The devil stole, stole love, which, you know, and when he stole love, he stole sex. Then chapter two is a theology of sexuality for teenagers. So yeah, that chapter is so important right there. Mm, yeah. No, really, really. And it's, I wrote it four times. Hmm. <laughs> like I gave it to theological people in my life, professors. Yeah. And then I tried to say, okay, how can a teenager understand hermeneutic? How can they understand porneia? How can they understand, you know, so uh, Greek history, Roman history, mythology, and how it affected the you know, first century. Wow. So that, so the theological illiteracy was really a major reason why I wrote it too. And then finally, I wrote it because the personal part of the story with me, and many people know this is, you know, it's 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 public knowledge. My brother's more popular than I am. <laughs> He's younger than I am. He's uh, a superstar in in you know in government. Um, he's been on the Bush platform. He's been on the um, you know the, the the Trump platform currently that was that just finished there in the in the cabinet. The first gay Republican uh, to be on the cabinet. Yeah. Um, the first gay person to be on a cabinet. It just happened to be Republican. Now there's a Democrat there, but um, you know, director of national intelligence, FBI, CIA, overall that uh, ambassador to Germany, blah, blah, blah. And he's three years younger, raised in the church, just like I was, went to Evangel university and then Harvard. So uh, we, we've navigated him coming out 21 years ago. And I've shared the book with him, the concepts with him. I sent it to him ahead of time before it was even, uh, you know, published. And uh, we worked through it. We worked through our relationship. We don't agree on the theology issue issues there, but we agree on the relationship issues. And I don't want to win an argument and lose a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is one of the chapter titles that yeah. we talk about when you have people in your life who uh, maybe see things differently than you on a lot of areas, Peter, not just sexuality. So uh, to be honest, part of the book was written from that, that third perspective, relational perspective, so that all of us who have people in our life that, um, that may believe differently and not just in sexuality, like I cover a lot of other things too, you know, obesity, lying, gossip, etc. <laughs> so we get along pretty well with those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why do we put a scarlet letter, you know, of leprosy on somebody else? So anyway, those are the reasons I wrote it, Peter. So good. So That's good. Great, yeah. Well, hey, listen, those of you that are watching right now, I mean, you've been with us for a couple of minutes, probably. This is Jeff Grinnell. Um, if you, you you got some friends that you know are going to be really encouraged and, uh, and coached by this conversation, do us a favor. Just go ahead and click the like button. Click the share button on Facebook if you're watching on Facebook uh, and share this. And then also, we just Peter and I invite you and Jeff as well. We invite you to join the conversation here. Yeah. So uh, put, post your questions uh, in the chat, some of the things that you're thinking, some of the different things that you're struggling with. Peter and I have a whole list of questions that uh, we're going to ask Jeff. We probably won't get through all of them, um, but we definitely want to prioritize those of you that are watching right now. Uh, and if you're listening back later, watching back later, um, uh, go ahead and post those questions anyways or, or shoot us a message. And, uh, and you can obviously get a hold of Jeff, um, you know, there at his website, Youthology. And I'm sure that he would love to, to talk with you as well. So. Jeff, let me ask you this question. Um, you know, one of the things that you, and you just, you just alluded to this earlier, that one of your values is, is really not wanting to win an argument, but lose a friend. You talk a lot in the book 
about the need for us to learn in ministry um, how to balance truth and grace in uh, our conversations. So let, let's just start there with that. You know, why? Why is it important to approach a conversation on teen sexuality with truth yeah. and grace? Well, the most important part is that we, with that whole concept in the theological chapter too, actually in the social, in the social chapter, I cover that a little bit too. We can't just have grace and we can't just have truth. They, they go together for a reason. Paul said grace and truth. Paul approached grace first. I think, um, you know, and, and I don't know that it was an order of importance, but he mentioned that, you know, right. um, grace upon grace, truckloads of grace. Paul, you know, I think Paul did that because he was judged so much. <laughs> right. Paul was like, you know, that's why Paul talked about the past. So forgiving the past so much, yeah. you know, I press on old things passed away. But, and so that judgment came upon him. And we have to be careful in the church that we are quick to truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so help me God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, because the two are inseparable. I, I, I honestly don't believe that you can have a message of either without the other, hmm. you know? So that's why right away in the book, like in the preface, I deal with that concept of the importance of grace and truth. Start yeah. off the whole book in the preface with 1 Corinthians 13. And the greatest of these is love. So you, you know what I did? I did a search while I was writing the book. I was almost done with the book. And I did a search in my document how many times I used grace, how many times I used truth. Didn't mm-hmm. even think of that, honestly. Okay. So the, so the, uh, Readers know when I say this, it wasn't a setup. I didn't begin to do this, but I was looking at a search of the manuscript and how many times did I use each word? And it was so close. Wow. It was so similar. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, okay, I ha- I'm sorry. I have to admit is a little more on the truth side <laughs> mm, it, it, for a reason, yeah. because I feel like what, w- uh, we've just lost the balance of those. So anyway, that that's just kind of, you know, nice to know. Culture and scripture. I balanced, you know, I did the search of culture and scripture. So close again yeah. in the manuscript. Um, like within, you know, 50, uh, 45 to 55%, like for each of them. And so I really was pleased with that part of the, the writing because that's the message I think the church has to become known for yeah yeah so good i i agree i think i actually would even say jeff i think that the order does matter <laughs> first john 1 17 yes. uh, the law came through moses but grace and truth came through jesus christ right like on, one yes. of my favorite verses in the bible i think anytime we approach it with truth first um you know it, it's it, it just you Aaron said it best last week. You have to build a bridge that can withstand uh, the weight of truth. I'm in any conversation, um, but yeah. especially most of the students that we're trying to reach to like students that are maybe wrestling with uh, I, their identity yeah. and sexuality, which is all of them really. Right. Uh, we, we need to come to them with grace first, with a, a heart of understanding, yeah. uh, with an agreeable attitude. So that the the relationship we begin to begin to build with them can withstand or you know hold the weight of truth. The interesting thing is, last night I just got done talking with a few of my team members. Was the first time in our student ministry uh, that we had uh, a situation between two girls uh, who snuck out of service and were caught, you know, being teenagers. And um, immediately, because of my the education of this conversation, thank God we've been talking about it right now. Um, my response was uh, different than it would have been had mm. I not had the conversation last week and read through the questions and try to study what you're writing in the book this week. My conversation would have been different. Um, and so with that being said, though, we are ministering to and talking to kids who are consuming culture at a very rapid pace. I love what you just said about how culture is taking the place of scripture. How does the media um, affect 
That was perfect. Thank you for putting that out. How does the media affect teens' view on sex? What is the effect of peer pressure on those views? Man, there's a whole chapter on it. Um, I, I don't want to give it away too much because then they don't then they don't have to buy the book. <laughs> just just it's tantalizes. Just, I know. Just, just bite size. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. say that jokingly because there's <laughs> people that are not going to buy the book, and I want to give them as much content as possible. Um. Man, media culture. Let me go all the way back to 1970s. The gay hate debate began with a false narrative. Hmm. Okay, now wait. Uh, seriously, I want you to listen. It's in the. It, you could Google right now, Matthew Shepard, okay, murder case, and it's going to come up, and you can read it. What happened? Anybody that knows that has studied this topic know exactly what I just said when I said Matthew Shepard. Murder case. This is a young gay man in Wyoming who was murdered by some people at a bar. And uh, they were yelling, you know, things at him, turned into a brawl, head injury, taken to the hospital and uh, died. But the media and people at the scene turned that into Christians who killed Matthew Shepard. Okay, and the narrative the narrative uh, hit the news. It it hit uh, Time magazine, the cover of every magazine, and the gay hate debate started. Wow, on a false narrative, and Satan sat back. Yeah, yeah, rubbed his hands together. Hmm. And the rest is history, guys. Hmm. I know I, I know I'm sounding sensational, but the church never recovered from that moment. Hmm. I, I really mean that because um, the, the boys that killed him, you can see their names in the report and all that. Uh, they, they were not believers. They were not Christians. They, they were not coming from a young adult service at a local church. They were in a bar. They were drunk. One of them was high and it was a, it was a hate crime, not a, you know, a, 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 the church against the gays. So anyway, so that Peter, that when we, you go all the way back and it starts there with a yeah. false narrative, then you can move up into, you know, the nineties, uh, late eighties and the cultural wave that began to hit America with the homosexual um, coming out, you know, 80s was when that really became popular. I do the, the whole history in that chapter on that. And when that happened, fueled with this false narrative, now the church is pitted against the, the coming out of homosexuals, with, even within the church, you know, who began to be emboldened, right? And now the church didn't even have a chance to love them hmm. because of the cultural narrative. And uh, then you move into the OOs and the, the redefinition of marriage and, you know, the, um, the marriage amendment, in 09 into 13, you know, all, all of that stuff just strikes. And now the one we're living, this, this tsunami, the, this sexual tsunami that we are living in today has hit the shores of America and left behind it the debris of millennial and Gen Z confusion. Because it's so pop. And I want to say something. This is so important. If we could get this on the screen, this is this is so important. I don't know if we can do this live, Aaron, but um, popularity does not create principle. Yeah, that's good. And what happened was pop culture turned into principle so quickly. It spun our heads. Yeah. But hear me. Popularity does not create principle. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened was with this whole question that you know that you started, Peter, pop populace created popularity. And now it's accepted as truth. Yeah. And what do we do wow. now? So yeah. that that just quick run of history. There's more events there. You know, 
uh, in the gender issue. There's more events in how, you know, Canada tried this neutral gender, um, uh, not just like literally tried to create a neutral gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do the history of some of these things and how they've shaped the way we think today in that social chapter. But so much of it was built upon a false narrative. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Now, now you kind of, easily led me, Jeff, into kind of what I wanted to ask is you talked okay. about how the church never really recovered from that moment all the way back uh, in, in the 70s. And I think you address this in your book as well. But so so how, how do we do it? You know, how do churches create a beautiful Christ-centered sexual revolution, right? <laughs> which, which I think even the terminology there in that question, the phrase I'm using is a little weird or awkward for some people, you know, beautiful Christ-centered yeah. sexual revolution. But but the, but the gospel addresses this. The gospel addresses our sexuality. And this is this is the church on the forefront of allowing the truth of God's word to to address and shape culture rather than what has happened, where what you're saying, popularity has actually shaped principle that many have tried to live by. So um, uh, how do we do it? Walk us through some of the practical steps, man. Uh, I become broke just thinking about how Satan has twisted this. And uh, like, you know, in, in my in my own relationships, uh, I was born in San Francisco. OK, I live in Minneapolis, two of the most densely populated LGBTQ plus communities. <laughs> and God has called me to this. Um, how do we do it? This is a, this is a start having the conversation because some people won't even have the conversation. Yeah, because they don't understand the language. They don't they don't under, understand, you know. I've been in I've been in dozens and dozens and dozens numerous conversations with LGBTQ plus not 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 just you know not not just gay but the spectrum yeah and be, and I think because they there's an aura there's like a grace on me for that conversation I get hit on it in restaurants here in Minneapolis I, on the street I get I've been hit on the street. Slipped my slipped a number or you know whatever, and I, my, my response is always I'm not I'm not but I love you, yeah, you know, how do we a counterculture? So I think number one is understanding the language, uh, man, understanding the um, theological framework because if you don't understand the theological framework, we default to culture, yeah. The cultural argument. We just default to culture immediately because we're not comfortable with Genesis to Revelation on sexuality. And to be honest, you know, I say I say this in the book. There, I cover about eleven key texts in the book, key scriptural texts in the book. But we could literally throw out everything in the middle and just hit Genesis and Revelation. Genesis one, two, three, and five, and Gen in, in Revelation twenty two and drop the mic and it's over. Yeah. It's that simple, but we've made it so much more difficult. Uh, you know, maybe we can hit some of that theology a little bit here, but to get specific, you know, uh, or maybe general with that answer uh, to that question, it begins with understanding language, understanding, you know, the theology. It uh, So language, theology, three, it, uh, valuing relationship more than the argument, valuing relationship more than the argument. And, you know, we kind of mentioned that a little bit with not, not winning arguments and losing friendships, but th- that we have to begin with that because otherwise we have something to say, not, not, we're not going to listen. We just have something to say. Mm, that's good. So that, that'd be three. Fourth, we start a con- counter cultural um, sexual revolution in the church first. Revivals happen in the church. Awakenings happen in culture. Mm. And I do a little hist- I do a little bit of history of the Jesus movement there, which I did in, which I did a thorough in my youthology book, the, the youth ministry book last year. Did a thorough look at how youth ministry could, if we wanted it to, look just like the 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 Jesus Revolution of the sixty seven to seventy seven time frame, and how it transformed. Our nation, Time Magazine called the Jesus Movement the greatest spiritual moment in American history. Mm. I truly believe that we could 
have another third great awakening, whatever we want to call it, millennial awakening, if we could have if we could see a revival in the church first, because awakenings in culture start with revivals in the church first. So, yeah. you know, man, there's so much to unpack with that yeah. Correct theology, uh, the, pre- the Holy Spirit you're going to talk about next week. When the Holy Spirit comes upon our teenagers, I preach on this every week. Every setting I'm in, the Holy Spirit is a main topic of it. If he, he, not it, if he, the Holy Spirit, who who is the most important relationship in a teenager's life today on earth, Mm. it's not their mom and dad, it's not their brother or sister, it's not their auntie or their, you know, their their uncle raising them, or it's not their bae or their bestie. The most important relationship in a teenager's life on this planet today it's the Holy Spirit, because if that relationship is right, all of those other relationships will be also. So good. And, and he is here today. Okay. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is here today. And if if we could see a revival in teenagers' lives, okay, then we could win culture. But we're not going to see it if we try to be cool, we try to be hip, and we try to be current and relative without and awaken, you know, that, 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 uh, that stirring, that revival in teenagers' lives in the church first. So that's what I would say, those, those four things. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people, I think everything you're saying is great. And a lot of people, you know, youth pastors are going, okay, so absolutely true, 100% positive. But yeah. the girl, like, even for me, right, students who are coming now into the church because maybe they've been invited by someone they love or, um, you know, they, they heard the hope of the gospel. And they're like, I want to figure out more about this. And this yeah. is maybe their lifestyle, right? Youth pastors like, man, I want to win them. Uh, but do I allow them to serve? What do you say about that? Do you love think it. that uh, maybe gay students are allowed to serve in the church? What, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts? Okay, I'm going to lose, lose my mind right now. I'm <laughs> going to lose my mind right now. Okay. Uh, this has got me in trouble already. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to say it because you brought it up. All right. And, it, and I explained it. I think he I, said you brought it up. <laughs> so, so Peter, whatever he says next is your fault. That's what I, that's I, I, what that's I, what I took away from that. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So uh, hear me clearly. There are two levels of entry. Okay, into the in, into our youth ministries, there's attendance and, and involvement. I say with the first one, attendance. Everybody come, bring them all, right? Mm-hmm. Bring them all. Bring the furthest in the in the community. Bring them, bring them all. They do not have to behave to belong. Mm-hmm. Okay, bring them all. And I know. Listen. I've done this. This is 37 years, man, doing this, what we've all been doing, okay? Deacons aren't going to like it. Maybe even your staff isn't going to like it. And parents are going to write, you know, you're going to hear it from the parents in the lobby. Um, push it, push it, push it. All, everybody, everybody can come. And if they, they get rid of you, then go to a place where they will welcome that message. we got to start there. Uh, this, this is not a country club. We don't check something at the door. The, uh, all the spirit and the bride say, come revelation 22. Hmm. So that's the attendance part of it. They don't have to behave to belong. Now, of course we have to have, you know, people that, uh, are trained and help us, you know, with, with a crowd that comes in, but hear me, they, they know how to behave in the church setting, there's already a presence in your place and they've already got this feeling for it, even though they haven't been to church. Gen Z hasn't been to church. You understand that Gen Z doesn't go to church. Uh, We don't have to reintroduce church to them. We have to introduce church to them. They haven't been introduced to it. So they know how to be, they'll be fine when they come in, you know, tell them, you know, smoke the last one out in the parking lot. Just leave it. Don't smoke in the building. You know. <laughs> they can't do that in school. So they're not going to do it. And you're not, they're not just yeah. anyway. So there's just so much fear with that of the unknown and unfamiliar. So attendance, bring them all. I don't care who they are. LGBTQ plus, et cetera. You know, I know that's kind of what we're, the, the crowd we're talking about now, but bring them all. Then there's this next discussion guys on involvement. 
So I break that down. And what I say is anyone can come, but few can be involved. Then I break the involvement down into leading programs and leading people. The difference between leading programs and people. And that looks like this. A gay student comes into your youth ministry because they're welcomed Mm -hmm. and, and they're attending and they're building relationships. Maybe they brought a few friends. And they want to get involved uh, hosting, holding signs up in the parking lot, uh, working tech behind the scenes, right? I have no problem with that because now they're leading at an involvement level that leads programs and it is not responsible for handling the gospel, leading a small group, leading worship on a platform where I'm leading people. So, but if they want to move to that next level, then I'm, then I have to share with them, listen, nobody on the platform, nobody leading a small group has a vice in their life that they are practicing. Mm. And we believe that this, this um, pattern or this lifestyle that you're, you're leading uh, is going to have to be dealt with before you lead people. It's a delicate conversation that has to be had. But if they're already in the fold and they're already in relationship with the with the youth ministry or the church or, you know, the organization that, that you might work, work for, then at least we've solved the relationship problem. Now we just have to deal with, you know, I don't have somebody who is obese on the platform, who's out of control eating. I don't have somebody who's gossiping in this youth ministry playing drums. I don't have addictions going on in, in the in this person's life who's leading the small group because I have a principle about this. And now it's not, I'm not just excluding somebody. I'm setting up a principle for growth in their life. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now the pushback is going to be, well, uh, how can you say someone can lead a program, hold a card up, push a button, right? Greet people at the door, but not preach. There's a huge difference in it. Just read the scriptures. Yeah. A huge. Di- OK, first of all, it's common sense. But there's a huge difference scripturally. And here's why. Um, those who handle the word are to be held to a whole nother level. Those who handle the presence are to be held to a whole nother level. OK. And so I think that um, what happens is there is a level of uh, how, how can I say it? There is a level of expectation that I have in teenagers lives. OK who are going to be uh, spiritual leaders in, in this organization, in this youth ministry that I want to hold them to. And so as a leader, I have to not be afraid to say there's a standard in in, in, in youth ministry that we expect of those who lead people. So, yeah. How do you define that? You know, I've had people try to, you know, counter me on that with their ideas. And I'm like, mm, I don't like that idea. You know, let them leave, but th- let them go under the radar. Don't tell anybody. I mean, that's just deception. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't help the person grow in their life. If, you know, if they maybe are, are struggling with this lifestyle and are looking for change or whatever. So, but what it does is it brings value to that person. It allows them to be involved in the, in the organization, right. In the church. And, uh, hopefully go through some growth that, that we could lay out for them. Yeah, that's really good. Um, here, here's a question I have for you, Jeff, and I, I wrote it from a, a parent perspective, but broaden it into a youth pastor perspective as well. So, you know, if you as a parent or youth pastor, youth leader, small group leader suspect, you know, a student is, yeah. is gay or lesbian, what, what steps do we take and how do we approach the conversation? Um, uh, how do we approach the conversation if they haven't, you know, quote unquote, come out yet publicly? How do we approach the conversation if they have, you know, come out but not had any, you know, conversation back to the parents or maybe back to the, the youth pastor that they've had years of yeah. relationship with? Well, even in the question, and I think you realize this, there's an assumption, you know, that, well, we have to assume there's at least a good relationship between the parent and the child, you know, the leader and the, the teenager. Because if there's been years of dysfunction in the relationship, 
we're already behind on the conversation. And it's going to be really difficult to keep tempers down, et cetera. So, you know, I, I would say to parents right now, place a high priority on your relationship with your child when they're, you know, the earliest of ages, because to have these kind of conversations, okay, listen, to have these difficult conversations when you have a broken relationship with your teenager is going to be right. um, very difficult. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that that might be the place where you start. You know, maybe it's broken down already. Listen, we know, we know families aren't healthy. We get that. We get high majority of families are not healthy. 18 minutes a week, fathers spend talking face to face with their kids. Yeah. Yeah. Not just in the same room, but talking. So how do we do this practically? You yeah. got to have an early relationship. So if parents are listening or they're going to watch this, you know, begin having early conversations uh, on all kinds of matters with your kids so that it's not just this one that you have to bring up. Right. Um, family altar, family time at the table, every time you eat together, which is rare. I get it. It's rare. Um, but when you do let kids talk with food in their mouth. That was our rule in our home at the table. If you have food in your mouth, please talk. At least they're talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And trust me. My daughter took advantage of that big time. She would just talk at the table. Some of you know her, know what I'm talking about, but anyway, we, um, we have to have early conversations to have successful uh, you know, later conversations. So that's first. Second, understand the language. And the book gives you the, there's a whole chapter on family sexuality mm. where, where I call it the two greatest problems collide family and sexuality. Mm. Oh, so burdened. <laughs> I'm so burdened for the family guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you would have thought that the last few months with this COVID would have increased family relationships. And we would have seen coming out of this, like I would love to see the research come out of this that is glowing, glowing yeah. how we've had a revival of the family, but we're not. You've seen it. Kids don't even want to be home anymore. It's yeah. like, I have to have another day with my dad or I have to have another day at home with my brother, right? And it's driving them mad. Yeah. I just read this, guys. Under this understanding, of the language. I just read this last week. Prior to COVID, 19% of mental health facilities were filled with teenagers. Mm. Now, 39%. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, what could have been a beautiful, I, I, listen, go back to my YouTube, go back to my blog months and months ago when this hit. I, I focused on the family guys. This could be the greatest moment coming out of this, this COVID this could revolutionize our country. I did video after video message after message on, on this, how to have family devotions, how to have con spiritual conversations with, you know, et cetera. Does, I don't know if it's dozens, but multiple um, posts on this back in March, April, May, June, but we didn't capitalize on it. Yeah. And I'm sure the stats are going to show that we had more time together, but it wasn't fruitful. So we got to understand to have the conversation. Number one, we have to understand the language and that chapter covers the language. Okay. Um, for how parents can have, I think I give 10 different ways to open the conversation on sexuality and then how to have to keep it going. Yeah. So maybe this is a teaser for that. Go to the two greatest problems collide family and sexuality mm. um finally to answer this question too wow man we could we could spend a whole podcast on this yeah. i'm sure yeah. she are, i'm sure she hit this yeah um here's here's one thing that's really important to me when you have found out that your child has come out okay give them a place of refuge mm. because if you don't give them a place of refuge they're going to find one and it's not going to be healthy. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a group of people who was, who will, I have to be careful saying this, the, who will accept them just as they are when the church would not. Mm. And they're going to be brought into 
a setting that is not filled with truth. Hmm. Unfortunately, it is not filled with truth. It is filled with culture and not scripture. And if it's filled with any scripture, it's not been done properly. It's, the hermeneutic was not done properly. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Man. I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm listening when you were talking, you know, just about have the conversation early and often, right? And just the encouragement there. Yeah. It, I was reminded of, uh, you know, something that um, I started doing with my son when he was a teenager. I mean, now, now he's 21, married. But I remember probably when he was, I don't know, nine or 10 years old, you know, I just decided I'm going to try to normalize um, conversations about sex and conversations yeah. that, you know, and, yeah. and so, every, and so I, I just remember oftentimes we'd just be riding around in the car and I would just, I just out of nowhere, out of the blue, just be like, Hey, so tell me uh, how you doing with pornography? You know, so, just, you know, just, just trying to normalize the conversation and what ended up happening over many years of doing that was uh, he started then bringing it up. Hey, can I talk to you about good. this? Hey, can I talk to you about this? And so, you know, I, I just, whatever the issue, uh, uh, the specific issue under the umbrella of sexuality is, and that's where oftentimes as parents, we feel we can feel so uncomfortable, right? You know, but if, if yes. we don't normalize having those conversations with our kids, then what will happen is exactly what you just said. They will find someone else that oh, will man. normalize it. They'll find another place yeah. of refuge. And I'll just tell you this as a parent, you will not be happy with who's mentoring and discipling your kid in that moment. Right. So real quick on that. Here's one phrase that will help parents. Same sex attraction is not sin. Hmm. Okay. Same sex attraction yeah. is not sin. Yeah. And I know people disagree with me on that, you know, and they say, well, Jesus said, if you even think it in your heart, that's not what he meant with yeah. that. That yeah. is not what he meant with that. Yeah, if that if, if same sex attraction is a sin, then so is opposite sex attraction, right? I mean, it, it's just it's so attraction. That's what we're talking. I walk about. into a I walk into a store. I'm a teenager, and I lost my phone charger, and I'm tempted to steal a phone charger. I put it in my pocket. I get some chips and you know Mountain Dew, and I, I walk up and I get this conviction. I take the phone charger out, set it in the gum rack, right, and I walk out. That temptation, I didn't sin. It's so the, the way I like to say the same sex attraction is not sin. Same sex action, you know, is I made that statement in a in a um, youth convention two years ago. I, I tell the story in the book. This is this is facts. This is real. Let's get down to having the conversation. So I make that statement. You know, I'm, I'm this thing I'm preaching on same sex attraction is not sin. Same sex action is and God, blah, blah, blah. And this youth pastor's wife brings a girl up to me, teenage girl up to me. And she's crying and they had been praying together. And she says, would you say that again? And I'm like, say what? You know, what, talk to me, sweetheart. Uh, that thing about attraction and, you know, and sexuality. And I said, same sex attraction is not sin. Same sex action is temptation is not sin. Yeah. And I said, what's going on? And this is what she said. This weekend, I'm with all my girlfriends and we're on the couch. We're, we're on my bed in my bedroom and we're all texting boys and we're watching Netflix. Can you see the setting already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Lights are down. Yep. And they're all, you know, there. And she says, I had this thought. I want to kiss Katie. Hmm. And, I, and you know, she's like, I, I was struggling with that. I didn't do anything with it. But then the next week or so, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. So I went up to Katie and I said, Katie, I, this is weird. I had this thought the other day when we were all, not, you know, the house, texting boys, watching Netflix, that I wanted to kiss you. And Katie said, I had the same thought. We must be gay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now this girl is struggling with this because she's like, I don't mean, I don't think I am. Right? right. Comes to this convention. Here's that statement. The Holy Spirit brings deep conviction into her life. Comes up to me. And I said this to her after she told me the story. I said, first of all, sweetheart, listen, you're texting boys in bed with girls and you're watching Netflix and the lights are down low. What other kind of things were you thinking of in the moment? And she got embarrassed. <laughs> she goes, she goes mm, I can't say. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't you love them? Yeah. Don't you freaking yeah. love these kids? So real. So real. So I said, what do you think is going to come to your mind? Yeah. In that setting, you know, and so we talked that through. And so I just want to say, you know, sometimes 
what is so natural um, doesn't have to become a pattern in our life. That uh, that attraction or whatever doesn't have to become a pattern in our life. It's simply a uh, temptation that has come. And, now, listen, in some people, it could be a lean. Maybe it's a lean. You've, you've been raised in an addictive home and you have an, a lean toward nicotine or whatever, right? Maybe you've been raised in an abusive home and you have a lean toward bullying. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. This is the born versus made argument. I have no problem with it. When people say we well, are born that way, uh, you know, or you were made that way. Listen, in sin, my mother conceived me. We were all born right. with right. a lean, right. some kind of a lean. So I have, that's why we're supposed to be born again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have no problem with the whole born argument, you know, and some people do, they're like, no, you weren't born that way. And I'm hold it, hold it, hold it. Yes, we were. <laughs> so that's, that's there too. I try to have those conversations with parents to uh, give them some language that helps them build a refuge. Yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got two of my kids, like, you know, one's already out of the house and the other one almost and a 15 year old, but I'm thinking about you, Peter, and you got three young kids in your house and what an incredible resource this yeah. is for you, not only as a youth pastor, but also as a dad to be able to, you know, start formulating the kind of conversations you're going to be having with your own kids here sure. in just a few short years, my brother, like it's going <laughs> to, it's going to yeah. be just like that. Yeah. My main takeaway just for some of the statements you were making is, you know, as, and this is true for, for everyone, for all types of leaders in all different types of environments. If you are going to have uh, deep relationships and be able to actually help the people, the students, the leaders who are in your ministry, you have to create a safe space, right? It comes back to this, um, that sometimes our priority is to create an environment where it is just about truth. What is the truth? We're coming in. We're giving you the hard truth. This is what it is. And obviously we know, you know, G Jesus said he's the truth. So we're giving people Jesus like they're, they're going to get the truth. But as a leader, I have a responsibility. It's probably why you ask your son those questions to make to normalize sexual conversations so that it could be a safe space. Good. Um, and, and that and that is key. Uh, for the day that we're living in youth ministry is because most students don't have a safe space. No space is safe. Um, even those conversations with their friends who will approve uh, of the way they're living is one text message, one Snapchat away from okay. to getting to someone else. It's not really that safe. Obviously, we know online is not safe. Uh, they could post a video of any kind. They could get comments that make them feel great, comments that totally tear down their identity. So as a church and as the people of God uh, who do have a message that will totally transform their life Good. and do have the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, which Jeff said, and I agree with, is the most important relationship in their life, we have to create a safe space for them uh, to encounter. It makes me think do, about this too. Like I've just been studying this, like, you know, the story of Joseph, like he's, he spouts off some crazy dreams. Right. And I guess for students, like, you know, at student ministry, students are going to spout off some crazy things. Uh, but I asked myself the question, like, why did he feel so comfortable sharing those mm -hmm. dreams that put everyone around him kind so of in like a lower level. He said, dad, I had a dream that the sun and the moon and the stars bowed to me. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Does that mean me and your mother? But like what, what allowed him to feel so safe that he could share that uh, in that space? Well, it was, you know, it was his father, the environment he created. It was the identity. His dad put a cloak on him that said, son, so I love you. I choose you. And as youth pastors, as leaders of all kind in the next gen generation, we have to cover students uh, with a cloak of identity. I love you. I'm here for you. And this is a space. And the things they will share with us will blow our mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The things that they will open up into us will blow our mind. And so I, I really think that that's what happened at that convention. That girl, for one moment in her life, she felt like someone understood her identity. And so now she's able to be vulnerable because she felt covered, you know? So, well, let, here's a little phrase that relates to that. In our youth ministries, we are sucked into uh, hype, social media footprint, um, followers, likes, right? We're sucked into attendance. We um, Listen, we do not measure our youth ministry by hype or attendance or social media footprint. Hmm. That has nothing to do with the success of your youth ministry. Yeah, that's so yeah. good. It is the theological preparedness of teenagers to deal with the issues in their life. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. We 
Measure healthy youth ministry, not by hype, not by social media footprint, not by attendance, but by the theological preparedness of teenagers to deal with the issues in their life. If we don't do that, we've failed as youth pastors and youth leaders. I told every one of my kids through the years, you know, through the years, and many of them with so many young, so many young leaders that came out of our youth ministry. I told them through the years, and I've heard them talk about this. If I didn't teach them how to pray, I failed them. I don't care if they had a blast, come on, ate Cheetos and had overnighters and, you know, played nine square. Hear me, hear me. If I don't teach my kids how to pray, how to read the scriptures, I've failed them. Mm. I failed them. Mm. So good. So good. Hey, I just saw a note from Chile. Yeah. I didn't get to see it. I couldn't read it because I don't have my glasses on, but uh, Chile, I love you. Love you. Yeah. He said, he said he's jumping off right now, but he said he loves your book. He's going to buy it and train his whole team on it. So that's awesome mm-hmm. because that's uh, that's one of the things that I want to see happen is youth pastors out there uh, picking this up. Um, obviously, um, there's so much to talk about on this topic. And, uh, you know, you could never cover all of that, uh, you know, in, in any one setting like mm-hmm. that. So. Peter and I encourage all of you watching, man, pick up Jeff's book. You can get it, uh, you know, in paperback. You can get it on Kindle. We posted a link there uh, in the chat uh, on Amazon. Um, go right there, buy it, and uh, or go to Jeff's website, go to Youthology, um, and check it out. Um, I th- I think Jeff, one of the thing, one of the uh, there's gonna there's so many parts of this that are gonna be so helpful. The the section on parenting and language is gonna be huge. And for you, those of you that are youth pastors that are watching right now um, or listening back later, that that alone, that part there and understanding the yeah. language, that's going to just practically equip you in having conversations that are full of truth and grace. Right. Um, but I think that chapter two, where you lay out a theology of sexuality that uh, and it ties in with what you were just saying, is that is that you you and I are fundamentally flawed in our philosophy of youth ministry if we think it's about hype it's about games it's about attendance uh it's about those things uh, it cool. is not it's about what you just said theologically preparing students to handle the issues in their life and i think the challenge for a lot of us as youth pastors is is we're not prepared ourselves to talk about this yeah. issue so that's why i'm so excited <laughs> about this book <laughs> right. Because because now every youth pastor listening now or later, you've got a resource now that that is there for you. So you can be prepared. You can prepare yourself to get up there and do the yeah. sermon series. Talk about the issues. Uh, make sure that you're prepared theologically uh, in order to have it. So this is it's incredible. Resource. Can I, can I get a final word? Do we have to close out real quick here? No, go for it. Go for it. OK, let, let me hit the theology part of it real quick. OK, this is man. You know, when people say things like Jesus never said anything about. Yeah. It's so not true. Right. When it comes to sexuality. Right. Okay. Let, let me clear that up. Um, I understand that Jesus didn't use the word homosexual. Jesus didn't use the word incest and he didn't use the word uh, bestiality. Okay. I get that. Yep. I mean, you know, uh, man, my lid, my lid. Um <laughs> Anger comes with anger rises up within me when I hear people say things about and then they they say that because Jesus didn't say anything about it, that he must okay it. Okay. That is so theologically inept to say to even to think that way. Here it is. Matthew 5, Matthew 15, and Matthew 19. Okay. Matthew 5, Matthew 15, and Matthew 19. Jesus had everything to say about the topic. When he used the word porneia, okay? When Jesus used the word porneia, that word is an all-inclusive word, okay? There is zero disagreement on what this word means. Uh, Porneia is an all-inclusive word for sexual dysfunction, sexual sin, outside of marriage between a man and a woman, Mm. period. He didn't have to use, he didn't have to use another 
term. You have to make up another word. Okay. We know Pauline. Yeah. Paul was so clear on this topic. Yeah. We don't have to get into Romans one and we don't have to get into first Corinthians six and seven and first Timothy one. Right. Jude in his little book made one massive, massive statement in two verses that drop Mike drops the argument. Jude, the brother of Jesus. Yeah. But what Jesus said in Matthew 5, Matthew 15, and Matthew 19 upheld what Moses said in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 5. Yeah, so good. So real quick, one minute and I'm done. One minute, one minute. Okay, sorry. Dude, dude I know this is so hard. What you're doing is amazing because you're, 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 you're going through hours of theological research and trying to condense it down. Into just and, I, and I can't course. because I've had to get good at this. Yeah. Um, three things, gender, marriage, and sex. The three topics in, in, in sexuality, in human sexuality, gender, marriage, and sex purpose of sex, right? We're all covered in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 5. When God said he created man and woman, told them to get married yeah. and to have passionate sex and fill the earth with people. Yeah. Okay. Then you look at Song of Solomon. You look at uh, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon, the wisdom literature, and the rest of scripture from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22, all sexual relationships that were condoned by a scripture, not the ones that exist in scripture, because we know there are so many things in scripture that weren't meant to be a pattern just because it happened didn't mean it was a pattern. Right. But all of the um, of the mandated created relationship between man, woman, marriage and sex was in the confines of marriage. If it was outside of the confines of marriage, it doesn't mean it was accepted in scripture. It just means that it was lit. It was there. Okay. It just means it was there. And I could use other language that, you know, if I'm, I'm using language that I use in the book to help teenagers and leaders that haven't studied this detail. So anyway, all gender, marriage, sex, all covered Genesis one, two, three, and five, drop the mic. Don't even read the rest of scripture. I know you want to read what Jesus said and what John right. wrote. And that's important, but we could close the book on the theological argument in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 5 with the creation intent of gender, the creation intent of marriage, and the creation intent of sex mm. within marriage between a man and a woman. That's so good. That's so good. I mean, there and, and listen, youth pastors, just, just grab that last clip and uh, show that to a youth ministry or reteach that, <laughs> you know, like that's just, uh, that's just so good. So. Um, man, we could just keep on going. This is so good. But um, Jeff, thanks again for writing this book. Um, if you're listening live right now, click on the link in the chat. Go order yourself a copy for your youth leaders, all of that. Um, and uh, it's, this is just just excellent. If you're listening back later, obviously it's going to be available. A great resource for you. Peter, close us out, man. Whatever thoughts you got. And yeah. uh, But Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, don't, uh, don't assume... Uh, that you'll randomly cover uh, the issues and the topics that we've been talking about here. Um, I've sat in rooms uh, with great leaders and, and gotten wisdom and then thought to myself, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll tackle that when it's appropriate. And uh, it's appropriate right now. You have to be intentional uh, about applying what you're listening to and what you're hearing. Because uh, the next gen, I mean, and this is a key right here. This is what kind of I was thinking about towards the end here as you were sharing, Jeff, is, is if we treat the, the students of our churches today like they're the church of later, we will sidestep what they're actually dealing with right now. Uh, we have to treat them as if they're the church of right now. And then this mm -hmm. becomes incredibly important to discuss uh, and talk about with them. Um, they are uh, one, maybe one chapter away of this book um, from a totally new breakthrough with Jesus. So I think it's vital to pick it up. Uh, I think we should share it, buy it, give it to your leadership team. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, give them a chance to ask great questions and, and to build a youth ministry that is a refuge for students of all shapes, kinds, and sorts to come and encounter Jesus and get filled yeah. with the Holy Spirit. That's yeah. what I would say. So good. Uh, Jeff, how do people get a hold of you? They want to drop a question to you or just want to say thank you for the, the labor of love with, the, with writing this book. Good. If they want the book, Amazon, 
Um, I have limited copies right now at youthology.com. I will get those once we've pushed the Amazon uh, sales and distribution. Uh, then, you know, in a few months, they can get it from my place. It's only going to be three bucks cheaper, really. Um, so that's the best place to do it. They can get group orders at Whitaker House, the publisher. There are group or great group orders there, uh, 30 to 40 percent off, even up to like higher if you get, you know, over 100 or whatever it is. But um, so that's that's a great place to do that. Whitakerhouse.com. Um, get a hold of me. Go to the socials forward slash Jeff Grinnell or Youthology. Go to the link tree in, in all the socials. The link tree takes you to all the, the other books I've written and the YouTube page, et cetera. Oh, so good. Jeff, again, thanks so much for being with us. And um, we appreciate you giving us this time and, and, and even more so appreciate you develop this uh, incredible resource mm-hmm. for us here. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to keep on reading in this and, and finish it myself. But, uh, man, we appreciate you. Peter, I'll see you next week. Uh, we'll be Come right on. back here, 11 o'clock. Ty Buckingham Ty talking Buckingham, how to help students receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is incredible. Jeff, we love you, brother, and uh, look forward to hanging Thank out you. with you again. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of LTG Live. And a special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's people like you that make what we do possible. If you enjoyed this episode, consider investing at leadthegeneration.com as well as subscribing, sharing online, and tagging us at LTG Conference.